Hey friends, and welcome to this week's episode of the U-Turn Podcast. This is your host, Ashley Stahl. I'm a counterterrorism professional turned career coach, speaker, and Forbes blogger, and I created the U-Turn Podcast because, let's face it, every now and again, we realize that we're living life on autopilot, and it's time to wake up and make that U-Turn in your life. So prepare to go deep with some of the most transformational people I know, here to help you grow and upgrade your mindset, whether it's in work or love. Also, be sure to stick around for the end of every episode where I'm going to reflect on the conversation and offer actionable coaching insights to have a real impact on your life. In the meantime, we've opened up access to three free e-courses on uturnpodcast.com. So head on over there if you want to land a new job you love, find your purpose, or launch your dream business. All of these courses are totally free. All you got to do is head on over to uturnpodcast.com. That's Y-O-U-T-U-R-N podcast.com. Now let's get started with this week's guest. big indicator that what you're experiencing is not good for you is your body you don't feel good in the experience you know i'll never forget i worked with a lawyer a woman mid-50s she was harvard trained brilliant brilliant talented woman mid-50s she said something to me after a few months of working together she had a similar thing going through a breakup just so much pain she was suicidal before we started working together and she said something to me maybe after about two months of working together she said and this she had this beautiful epiphany and 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 she was so excited and she said brian holding on to what isn't good for you just isn't good for you hey everybody it's ash here on the u-turn podcast and i am just really loving the fact that we're going to switch it up this week and instead of just talking about love which we always can We're going to bring a man on the show to talk about it because I'm realizing I'm having way too many female love experts. And so I'm really excited to bring Brian Reeves onto the show. He's a life and relationship coach, and he really specializes in helping people connect to themselves and intimacy as a whole. So we figured we could talk about setting boundaries in your relationships and four reasons why you may not be doing that and how to overcome that. So Uh, Before I get any further, Brian, thank you so much for being here. What's up, Ashley? It's an honor to be here. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, please. I was, everybody listening, I was just warning him that this is my fifth call of the day and I'm highly caffeinated. So I'm sorry to you. I'm sorry to everybody that I sound like I had like 17 Red Bulls. Very scary. That's right. I feel it. I feel it in my bones. I'm I'm, I'm taking it on by osmosis. I got the nervous energy going. So this this should be fun. Great. I've got, I've got a little, uh, I'm contagious. That's perfect. Um, so I'm curious what, you know, you had kind of said before we started recording, you and I are very like, so I'm curious kind of yeah. like what your story is in your career and in your love life that kind of got you to this point where I saw on your website, you're called the Relationship Insight Ninja, which I think is really fun. Yeah. Um, yeah. I could always use that. So do tell. So I am, um, I'm a 44 years exquisitely aged man. And, um, thank you. And, uh, uh, by the way, just if you're listening, it's Brian with a Y. It's very important. My own sister still sometimes, uh, misspells that, but you know, I was raised on the East coast of the United States. I was raised to be productive, be outcome oriented, uh, get a job, uh, take my place in society, just kind of, you know, do the things you're supposed to do. I thought, and I did those things. I was good at math in high school. So I decided, well, I guess I should go study math in college. And I got a, an air force scholarship to be an engineer 
And um, I learned immediately that I hated engineering in college and also the military life. It wasn't quite, didn't quite fit me for various reasons, but I ended up going active duty for, for five years after college. And while I'm very proud of my service, <clears throat> I also was incredibly, probably functionally depressed throughout that entire experience. It was extremely disconnecting from my emotions and you know as as particularly as a man but woman or man disconnect from your emotions and try to do intimate relationship (laughs) how do you think that's gone for me in the past yeah wow you know people don't even realize right like they think that they can just turn off the switch to feel not have to feel all the bad things but it's like it's one switch you're either feeling everything or you're feeling nothing what's your thought on that well it's interesting you say that because um when I got out of the military at 26 years old, you know, I, I, I tell people, you know, and it's very common for, for a man, I, I couldn't cry. But what's also interesting about that is I couldn't really laugh either. So I, I couldn't, you know, I look at, um, and I work a lot with couples. And so a lot of times you have one partner who has a much wider range of emotions, but that means the good stuff and the and the so-called bad stuff, which I don't call it bad stuff, but just the stuff we want and the stuff we tend to not want. But, you know, like my own sister, the same one who still doesn't really know how to spell my name, it seems, she would get so excited at a pair of yellow socks walking through the department store. And it always amazed me how excited she could be about yellow socks. Mm-hmm. And though she also was capable of feeling an agony, like a sadness, that uh, uh, you know, tears and and pain in her experience. That again, I had access to neither of those extremes. And I think a lot of us, particularly men, but you women get this message too, that actually. You know, emotional extremes are bad and we should lop all that off. I mean, I've worked with women who would tell me when they were children, their fathers would get angry at them for just laughing at the dinner table. That's crazy. I mean, what is what is that? What message is that giving giving young girls? But also, I mean, boys, again, we're all getting the same message. So so I look at, at emotional expression as, you know, authentic emotional literacy, I'll say, or emotional expression is, is the capacity of, yes, expanding out on both sides of the spectrum, your capacity to feel not just joy, but also sadness. Mm-hmm. And what Absolutely. is the, what is the thought like on drama, though, Brian, because you know, mm. Brian with a Y, because here's the thing, you yeah. know, I think there's different ways people harness their masculine versus their feminine energy. And sometimes you mm. can see someone who's very much in the active feminine where they are having conversations and valuing intimacy and speaking up and um, making sure there's collaboration. And then on the other side, there's the passive feminine where it's like an emotional mess mm-hmm. for lack of a better term. How do we navigate that? Well, first off, if, if you, if you're on a dating uh, app or, or, or just in a conversation with someone and they, that you're considering dating and they say, I don't want any drama. Yeah. Run, run from that person because essentially what they're telling you is I cannot handle discomfort. And which means when this gets uncomfortable as all relationships will, I'm out. 
I love that because I think when people say I don't want any drama, they're already on the vibration of drama just by oh, saying man. that, you know? I know. <laughs> it's true. Try to say that in a, in a, like a really fairy tale, sweet voice. I, I can't even do it. There's it no nice way to put it. Yeah. To come out of my no, you're right. You're already vibrating at the level of, oh, she, like trying drama. to control the world. Uh, don't, don't. Uh, it's just not it's not it's not realistic it's not how relationships are and though i understand it especially as a a, a man who's been taught and trained even to not let emotions get in the way of of the outcome we want which from the masculine perspective is just a uh, peace of mind freedom freedom from drama freedom from which just means freedom from things that constrain me that 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 will will force me to do something i don't want to do that's really what we're talking about mm -hmm. but a relationship by its very nature you're partnering with another human being and that unless you want to be a tyrant in your relationship and, and many men and some women do yeah you know every but now that's... and again a little fascist dictatorship could be a fun relationship <laughs> <laughs> look i'm all for role-playing that's fun that's <laughs> what you're for into a few hours in an evening yeah. don't make a relationship out of it it's not a relationship that's a dictatorship but mm -hmm. a relationship is two people two two worlds coming together to create an entirely new world and that is going that is not in your control Mm -hmm. Certainly not entirely. There's, there's, a, there is a surrender to a third, to a new wisdom, if you will, a, a third way, that neither of you can get to on your own, and that's going to be uncomfortable, and that requires allowing yourself to be influenced by the other. And so, you know, we we can talk about. Um, no drama and, and and from the context of look we should both be learning how to be adults and take ownership of our own shit mm -hmm. that's for sure i mean i don't want to be with a partner and i'm not i'm th you know over three years with my my fiance uh sylvie kukasian who's an amazing woman and and she of marriage and family therapist you can imagine some of our conversations yeah i'm imagining um, but we both are committed to owning our own stuff. And we, I mean, look, you know, we're both passionate, strong people. I mean, we, we, we have some, some, we have our moments of breakdown and we get our support and we hit our walls and all of that. But we are committed to not projecting our stuff onto the other person. Beautiful. Beautiful. But it doesn't mean it's easy and it doesn't mean it doesn't come without some, you know, citrus fruit thrown onto the floor and exploded. That's my, that's my, I call it my anger yoga. That's my, I do anger yoga where <laughs> when I'm, when I get really triggered and I carrying a lot of energy in my body, one of the things I like to do is grab some citrus fruit and go out on my, on my patio and just smash it on the, on the ground. Cause it's, you know, it doesn't hurt anybody. It's fun to move that energy through my body. And it, it, ah, it's very refreshing so that I, when I'm really triggered, I can just ah, move through it and, and, mm. and come back and be, with my partner well they say when life gives you lemons you make lemonade and there's many ways to do it brian so there I you go i make grapefruit perfect <laughs> well so i'm kind of curious actually you touched on something that i really love which is the topic of for lack of a better term red flags so anybody listening right now you'd kind of talked about you know running if somebody says i don't want drama um mm -hmm. i dated a guy once who said you know i i don't have any adversity like i've never had much adversity and it's like, what are you talking about? There's adversity in all sorts of little things in everyday life. Um, and so it kind of felt like that person for me was a little bit checked out. And so I'm kind of curious for everybody listening, like, how can we pick up on certain emotional indicators that somebody isn't 
really available or what red flags can you kind of point to kind of like that snippet where somebody says, I don't want drama? Yeah, well, that's a really great question. A big one at that. And one of the things that, particularly when I'm working with with women, one of the things that we do a lot of work around is is being able to feel your own body, so that see see one of the mistakes we make, and this is why we ignore a lot of red flags. Um, in fact, I, I, I'll ask this question a lot when when I'm working with a woman who who you know a couple of years have gone by, been in a relationship, maybe going through a breakup. I'll say, when did you first know, like in your being, when did you first know that this relationship, that this man was not, this wasn't going to go well? Mm. I don't care how many years go by, pretty much the answer is always first or second date. Gosh. So what happens? And what, what, what happens? So there's two things at play here. There's your brain, there's your mind, there's your stories, the things, the outcome that you want. I want this to work. Oh, this, this, you know, whatever story, story, reason, reason. I want this, this guy is, is the one or could be the one or, and we all do it. I mean, it's so human. I, I do it. I'm not anymore. Get fiance, but there's that mind stories, outcome. And then there's what the body's telling you. Mm. The body in any moment is either opening or closing or in other words, you know, when you feel safe, this is another conversation, another question that I'll ask women that, that are really in that, in that, in that, um, and men too, in the search for like really yearning for a partner. One of the yeah. questions that I love the most is how do you want to feel in the presence of your ideal partner? Hmm. How do you want to feel? in the presence of your ideal partner, or how do you, how would you feel? And what that opens up that most of us never really consider is that uh, the body knows that there's, the body, but the body has wisdom. The body knows when you're in the presence of someone who is uh, really being authentic and kind and gentle. In other words, you know you're safe with that person versus you're not safe. And it doesn't mean you're not safe physically, but just, you know, emotionally, you're just this, the person you're with is not, as you said, like you said, they're just checked out. Mm -hmm. And when, and just speaking in sort of this direction, when a man is checked out of his own emotions, you can be sure he is not going to be checked into yours. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I feel kind of like almost like this question of how do you want to feel also can be paired with what qualities or what ways of being make you feel that way you know because Mm -hmm. like for example I feel safer when people show up on time you know and if people Mm -hmm. don't show up on time like it hurts the trust or I I start to feel a little bit like I don't Mm -hmm. know like a disconnect from the person um Mm -hmm. so I think it's also just you know I love what you're saying like how do you want to feel and then maybe taking it further to explore like what kind of person makes you feel that way like what kind of qualities bring that out in you or what kind of actions bring that on you so that's really beautiful um yeah anything anything else that you have to kind of say about that well, it's not an exact science. I mean, there are, there are, you know, we, we, we have a lot of our own wounds, our own fears, our own stuff that is going to come up even in, in, in what could be a wonderful relationship. That's why I'm a big fan of getting support, of working with a coach, working with a therapist, but somebody who can help you really process what's coming up for you so that um, you can develop uh, clarity of, of 
of, of sensory experience what's happening in your body so that you can discern between your own kind of trauma or wound response, your trauma response, which has nothing to do with the person you're in front of. Um, and likewise, also, sometimes you might feel really good with a man who is not emotionally present because dad wasn't emotionally present and is familiar. Mm. <laughs> so, you know, it's it's I'm not a one of those coaches or teachers that says, trust the body, just do whatever the body tells you, you know, follow <laughs> your bliss, your heart. your." I mean, yes, that it's like uh, what my coach put it really beautifully. He, He's a man who also teaches a lot of very, very um, being sensually awakened to, to you know, being intimate with your own body, which, by, which as he defines, his name's Steve James, incredible, incredible uh, coach and man, and, and, and he defines intimacy as feeling what is there to be felt. Mm, I love that. I love that. Feeling and yeah, what is there to be felt? It's it's also just like you know tuning into my body. It's like sometimes it wants fourteen cupcakes, but it's not good for me. So <laughs> exactly, the body isn't so always you, you, the best compass. Yeah, you bring that to what he calls the 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 table of advisors. You, you, your your body doesn't run the show, but your body has to have a say. Otherwise, you're going to get yourself into an experience, whether it's at whether it's a job or a relationship that is going to make you physically sick and you have four reasons why people don't set boundaries and the first one's about worthiness which this is my favorite topic you you're so right you and i do have a lot in common so i'm curious like what do you have to say around people's worthiness as it relates to why they're not speaking up why they're not setting boundaries in their relationships yeah well you know Boundaries, healthy boundaries are essential to a healthy relationship. The boundaries create safety. Uh, they create clarity. They make gener- they make your authentic generosity possible. I mean, there's only good things come from having healthy boundaries. Yeah. But we don't do them when in our, our own mindset, and, and again, the messages we get from childhood, from culture, everything saying you need something else to be whole and complete, you need a partner to be whole and complete, the whole, that whole story, where, where we live with the fear that we're not worthy of what we want. Mm. I'm not good enough. I don't deserve it. And what I have is all I deserve, and, and frankly, I don't even deserve that, I'm pretty sure. Well, I think a lot of people also get tripped up in the relationship space because they want things that maybe they don't have yet or they're not embodied yet. Or maybe they want somebody who's different than them and that that person isn't embodying the things that they bring to the table. So I think there's a whole school of thought around, like, don't ask for something you're not willing to be. And I think there's some confusion. So I'm curious, kind of like around worthiness and and asking for what you want. What are your thoughts on people who... You know what I mean? You know what I'm getting at? Yeah. Well, let's be clear about something. We all want someone different than us. Yeah. In, in intimacy. We don't choose. The, we don't choose. That's why we don't, you know, we don't date our, our best buddy. Not at first. I mean, that person can evolve to be our best friend, but that's not who we choose to be intimate with. Yeah. We choose someone who is quite different from us, typically. Sorry, what was your question? How yeah, did you frame just, that again? Just kind of curious about, like, I think a lot of people, when they talk about asking for what they want, there's like this school of thought that says you can't ask for somebody to be something you're not able to do yourself Mm. or be yourself. And I think ultimately, like some people are looking for something different and maybe there's a woman who doesn't want to be the career partner. Maybe they just want a relationship where they have the kids and and don't have a career, stuff like that. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, 
I think we have to make some distinctions here about um, I really get that you you don't ask for what you're not willing to be but I don't think that means um, well there's a whole boy there's a lot of layers to this Um, but I think how how I experience that more is I, I can't I can't expect a love that I'm not willing to offer okay I can't res- I can't expect a respect that I'm not willing to offer mm, that's great I can't I can't res- expect an attention that I'm not willing to offer mm, so I think it. it I think that 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 question it's more uh, from a, a a space of who are you being not what are you doing not what's your job title in the world or what um you know but but who are you being who are you and this is why that question that i asked earlier how do you want to feel in the presence of your ideal partner i think is so powerful because you know a lot of us and i did this i probably did this three or four times through my life you know made lists a list of what i wanted and those lists were always pretty ridiculous when I look back at them because they were the things that anybody would fucking want. You know, uh, I want her to be kind. I want her to be attractive. I want her to be, you know, nice to kids. I don't know, silly things that just were kind of obvious. And, and uh, you know, and I used to want an ambitious woman, a woman who was this. And, and especially when it came to, like, who she is on the outside, her, what she does, or Boy, that was always a slippery slope. I love that. And I think that, you know, so number one, people don't set boundaries because they're afraid that they're not worthy of what they really want. And then number two, you said that they're afraid of losing what they have. I think this is so good because there's so many women in my life where I'm noticing that they're not in a partnership that's flowing. They're not in a partnership that happiness is the default setting. And even if there's work to do, it's like most of the time it feels like a struggle when I'm watching them. And so I'm curious about this fear of losing what you have, what it's really about, what it looks like. And what are some indicators that you are afraid of losing what you have? And there's certain things that, you know, maybe in a partnership, it's like this isn't healthy for somebody. Yeah. Well, again, I'll, I'll come back to the body. A big a big indicator that what you're experiencing is not good for you is your body. You don't feel good. In the experience you know I'll never forget I worked with a, a, a lawyer a woman 50 mid 50 ish mid 50s she was Harvard trained brilliant brilliant talented woman mid 50s she said something to me after a few months of working together she had a similar thing going through a breakup just so much pain she was suicidal before we started working together and she said something to me maybe after about two months of working together she said and this she had this beautiful epiphany and 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 she was so excited and she said brian holding on to what isn't good for you just isn't good for you uh-huh. i love that i love common and sense I so good <laughs> right coming from a harvard trained lawyer i couldn't have said it more simply and perfect myself But the simplicity of that, holding on to what isn't good for you just isn't good for you. How do you know it's not good for you? Yeah, that's what I was about to say is that's, I think, where people get stuck is they think maybe that they're, quote unquote, growing and they want to spiritually bypass the responsibility of being honest with themselves and saying this doesn't work for me. And so instead they convince themselves, God knows what, that they're growing, that this is good for them. So how do we kind of get connected to what is good for us and what's not? Yeah, that's a great question. I think um, because, look, growth is uncomfortable. It's it's gonna hurt. It's you're gonna do some suffering, no doubt about it. And but but using a relationship for growth is a terrible idea. 
using a relationship for growth is a terrible idea. You're going to grow. A good relationship will cause you, will command you to grow. But using it to grow is a very, very bad idea. So does that mean like seeking out a challenge or does that mean like making it okay that it's painful? Like what do you mean by that? So what I mean by that is because I I was like that. I, I believed that you know, I, I always value have valued growth and I thought, well, the only way I'm gonna grow is if I suffer. So let me throw myself into things where I'm gonna suffer. Yes. Oh, I'm in an abusive relationship and I was for five years and I kept going back to it because no, there's more here for me to learn. I, there's, there's something here huge for me to learn. I would leave and go back to that relationship. It was emotionally abusive, verbally abusive, physically abusive. We abused each other eventually. Mm. It was terrible. And but I kept going back into an abusive situation because of the story. Oh, there's something in here for me to learn. There's something huge I'm gonna learn and I'm gonna go back and get this lesson. You know the the biggest lesson I got so many in fact, but one of the biggest lessons that I got out of that experience was actually I don't ever have to stay in a situation that's abusive. Yeah. God, yeah. I don't ever have to choose suffering. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's massive. And what are some key indicators of abuse that maybe people aren't noticing? Because I think that abuse can be very insidious and sneaky. Yeah. Well, again, you're totally right. And again, I'm going to come back to, to the body. Because your mind, see, the thing is our, our, our mind makes up all kinds of stories. And our mind is borrowing our parents' stories, society's stories. I remember a woman telling me, uh, a woman who was uh, working with her. So for two years before we started working together, she slept on the floor next to her husband's bed. Because she didn't feel herself worthy or, or and she was so turned off by the relationship. They'd been together for 16 years. Slept on the floor for two years before we started working together. And she bought into the story that, that her religion taught, told her, which is once you're married, that's it. You stay married. God wants you to be married. God doesn't care what you feel. In fact, she told me one day at church, um, and it doesn't matter what denomination, and this isn't a religious thing. It's just that it's about the stories we carry and, and what they do to us. She told me that one day at church, the the priest or the, the reverend or whatever it was, was saying just that God doesn't care if you feel good about your marriage, he wants you to stay married. That's what marriage is for. It's sacred, you know, all, all of that. And she she told me, you know, she looked over at her husband and her husband smiled, kind of gave this sly little smile. Oh, like, yes, yeah, see, I told you. Sounds like my worst nightmare. <laughs> and, she, and, and she said to me, Brian, in that moment, I wanted to stab all four of their eyeballs out with a fork. Yes. I was so furious and disgusted. And I think that's, you know, that is that's sort of the the dance we do between the stories and the and and all of the, and our feelings and the emotion the, the wisdom of our bodies. Again, you can totally. I'm not saying you should leave a marriage like that, but just know it has a cost, and the cost is your health. The cost is your well being. The cost is your 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 freedom of expression of 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 being the the amazing, exquisite, wild and wondrous human being that life brought you here to be. That's all that's at stake. <laughs> so, you know, bring the wisdom of the body to the table. If your body is telling you something is off, something is off. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean leave the relationship, but don't take their word for it because this is what especially kind of, you know, more shallow masculine, the shallow masculine mind will do in a man or a woman is it will convince you nothing is off. 
it will say, no, 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 everything's fine. Just, you know, don't trust your feelings. Don't trust. And, and then it will just persist in its own agenda at, at, at your expense. Again, whether that's happening in your mind or your partner's mind, it, it doesn't, doesn't matter. It's the same. So I always recommend always. In fact, when, you know, some people will ask me, uh, you know, how do I know if I should leave my relationship? I mean, should, or should I go back to a partner that I've already left? And yes, great. And, Love that. And question. one of the things that I always insist on, cause I can never answer that for somebody. I'm not, I don't give advice. Uh, any therapist or coach that gives advice doesn't know what the hell they're talking about. You have to decide for you what is right for you, but I absolutely always insist make it a boundary condition. If you are going to consider staying in this relationship, get support Mm -hmm. hire someone to help you see what is really going on Mm -hmm. and if your partner isn't interested that's a huge red flag yeah what is that about it's about their unwillingness to to be uncomfortable Turners, so sorry for the quick interruption, but I want to make sure you know that this episode has been brought to you by the Job Offer Academy, our e-course to help you land a new job you love. So if you're sick of applying for jobs and never hearing back, and you'd like to try a free version of our job hunting course, just head on over to uturnpodcast.com slash job offer. That's Y-O-U-T-U-R-N podcast.com slash job offer. Now let's get back to this week's episode. Yeah, because I have had some couples where the person says, I refuse to go to therapy. I'm not going to go. And I've been like, okay, is that just a boundary? Is that just not how they want to spend their time? Like, what's that about? Does therapy, and a lot of people Mm -hmm. make the story that therapy means something's wrong with them already. Like, what do you have to say to people who have had a partner who have said, I don't want to go to therapy. I refuse to do it. Or if we have to go, it's because something's really wrong with us. Like, what are your thoughts on that? So, look, you can never force your partner to do something they don't want to do. And nor would I, um, you know, women ask me that. How how do I get my man to X? You don't. You don't get your man. If you can can get your man to whatever, you won't respect him and he won't respect himself. Now, having said that, and I'll tell you, a lot of men come to work with me only after – (laughs) that a woman has left them no choice and and she's left them no choice not not by saying you go to therapy or else that never works she's left him no choice because he finally gets that if i don't take action and do something she's gone Mm -hmm. i'm gonna lose her she's gone and in many cases she already is gone before men reach out to me but I have a couple coming to me this weekend to do a weekend intensive with me, which is not inexpensive. And they've been together 40 plus years. And it's it's the man is, of course, he's the one initiating it. And he's paying my fee for this three day intensive weekend with me. And he's doing it because she's gone. Wow. She's left. Wow. And she, she's open to coming back. But, you know, he's he's got to, uh, you know, uh, she doesn't trust anymore and he gets that he has to take huge massive action in order to restore this and it might be too late i mean yeah. we don't know that's what i wanted to ask you about is like when is it the point of no return according to kind of all the work you've done and you've noticed and i get that there's things that are different for everybody but on the most case when do you think something is just not going to be workable anymore 
Yeah, when it really just takes one partner to to get that clarity. Um, and you know what I what I generally find it's not a black and white rule, but what I generally find is as a man can can leave a relationship and come back over and over and over, but a woman only leaves once. Wow, so interesting. Yeah, a man, and this this has to do a lot with 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 um, how our bodies work, just physiologically as well. I mean, how oxytocin, testosterone, how all that functions in our body. But 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 women generally grieve a relationship while they're in it, mm-hmm. when they're not getting the connection they need or, or want, when you know the, their partner isn't showing up and they just don't feel cherished or chosen. Or women grieve for a long time in the relationship, so that by the time they're done, they're done. Yeah. Whereas whereas men, we don't grieve until it's over. Hmm. Like really, me and by over, I mean we're not allowed back in the door. Because we'll leave, and I did this again. That, that that relationship I was in for five years, I would leave and come back, leave and come back, and she didn't leave once. I mean, she, she even during that experience, she even when I would leave or end the relationship for a time, she would date other men, or she even went to live with another man overseas. But she she always held the door open for me, and. Man, when it was when it was finally over, I mean, I think we had both had gotten to such a point where we were both just done. But but she could have ended that insanity a long time <laughs> before it ended by not allowing me to get away with that. Ah, oh, so good. And what does it look like when women grieve versus men? You said women are grieving in the relationship. I think a lot of women, you know, and I don't I hate to play into their egos, but I can't help myself. I know a lot of them they are devastated and when the relationship ends they have a belief that maybe the other the man isn't Mm. sad or isn't Mm. grieving their loss you know one of my close there's two things that happen number one um on the note of instinct and your body one of my closest friends is dating a a public figure who has you know massive podcasts all the things and he was cheating on her with so many women and she kept Mm. not feeling it but she didn't listen to it so it's like listening to yourself, mm-hmm. I just wanted to drive in that point of, uh, uh, you know, and just kind of expand on that with you a little bit more in this interview is talking about listening to yourself and how to do it. Um, mm-hmm. But also, I'm kind of curious about grieving. Like, you know, one of my closest friends called off her wedding. I've called off my wedding. And there's always that feeling of like, do they even grieve this? Because they didn't show up for me. And I think yeah. a lot of women think, well, if they didn't show up and men, you know, if they didn't show up for me, then they don't really care. So I'm curious what yeah. grieving looks like if you could. I know you can't categorize people, but in general, what does the male grieving process look like? Yeah. Well, first, I, I don't. I, it's my opinion and my belief that that men, on a deep level, most the vast, overwhelming majority majority of us, we deeply care. Mm-hmm. It's just that caring is buried under mountains of programming that don't allow us to either be vulnerable or or share our emotions or or, I mean, I remember again just in. Uh, you know, in grade school, it was like to like a girl was such a icky thing. Like you're not supposed to even like a girl. And that, you know, that, con- that was in grade school. That continues into high school. You know, don't be pussy whipped was, was the common phrase. I, I didn't even know what the hell that meant. It brought up a weird visual, but I got the point. <laughs> the point is don't let a woman own you. Mm, okay. And 
so we we meant and we carry that into adulthood this you know don't let her get the best of you you know gosh i mean this is such a fascinating yeah, well, I don't. I don't, don't want to go down. There's lots of rabbit holes here that would be fun, but I, but love I don't want to go down. I love a good rabbit hole. Them. Whatever you want to go down, I'll go with you. Um, I remember. Okay, uh, I was in a college fraternity, and just a few years ago, I went to a reunion of my all my college brothers, and um, th- these guys are heavy drinkers. Lots of alcohol. Can't even be in a room together unless alcohol is present. And alcohol is very feminizing. It you know it gets men in our bodies and our emotions. It opens us up. Oh, hey man, I love you, man. You know that whole thing. Yeah. But what was fascinating to me is as I as I watched, I remember one night. Um, we, we went out to a bar, you know, there was 40 of us guys. It was a great time, but of course, drenched in alcohol. And I remember, you know, here we are drinking, and I remember a bunch of us uh, kind of, you know, we had our, our arms over each other's shoulders, and, and we're just having a great old time. I remember looking across, the, we looked across the room at one of our other brothers, who we loved dearly, and, and, and he was so plastered, you know, you could see it on his face. And all of us were just sort of making fun of how drunk he was, which is another way of saying, nah, he can't handle feminine energy. Look at him. She got the best of him. Mm. Like it shows up everywhere. She got the best of him. Look, you know, we, we can drink to a point, but then once we drink too much now, you know, now we're the laughing stock of the party mm. because she got the best of him. He can't even keep himself together. And it's the same in our relationships. We hold that same, ah, oh, she got the best of you, man. Oh, man, she has your balls. Man, you know, she makes all, you know, what do you need? A, you need a hall pass to come out tonight? Come on. Mm-hmm. Got a guilting it's, in the culture. Mm-hmm. It's, it's in the culture. And, and so, you know, a, a woman told me this recently as well, that she, or her, she broke up with her partner. I can't remember who broke up with who, but like two months later, he was married. Yeah, what is that? I think there's a lot of women listening and a lot of gentlemen too, where they feel like, is the person grieving me? And the next thing they know, they turn around, the person's moved on. So ha, ha, what, what meaning can we make of this, if any? So here's what I would offer to that. We are so good at avoiding our pain at not grieving. In fact, I just wrote a blog about the importance of us men to grieve and how we don't do it and how it matters. And, you know, it, it affects our intimate relationships. So, look, I can't comment on a, on a personal, on, on, one, on one relationship and one experience, but when we don't grieve, which means we don't really allow ourselves to let go of what was and feel the sadness of letting go of what was, there's no possible fucking way we can fully be with what is coming or what is. Mm, totally. Part of us that we can mask it and we can pretend we're okay, but that will catch up to us. It does. We do get outed, or we continue to live a very shallow existence, and and we may we may get married, but we won't be very connected. Gosh, I love this because I think it's I, I resonate. I know it's true, and I I'm curious, kind of in the dating realm as well as in the relationships and breakup realm. Like, is there anything that you would describe, and I, I hate to ask this, but as typical for grief? Because I know that, you know, in the women who are listening who are dating, you know, maybe they broke up with Tim or Todd or whoever his name is three or four or five weeks in, and it was going somewhere, and then it died. So I think a lot of the times women kind of feel bummed, like they're, they're sad and... I think there's a genuine curiosity for the other gender or the other brain, really, because I know that our brains are wired differently, of how they process grief, if at all. So I'm curious what 
thoughts you might have based on somebody who, I know you've worked with a lot of men as mm. well, and so I'm curious kind of what you see. Yeah. Well, I think grieving is, is it's a similar experience. And grieving is different from mourning, by the way. We don't talk about that. But, but grieving is the process of the body feeling what it's feeling and, and not bypassing that. But, and, and grieving is, is sadness. It can be anger. Um, it can all kinds of stuff can come through in, in grieving. And I don't care if you've been together for, for four years or four weeks. There's a sadness that happens, and it's okay to – it's not just okay, it's healthy. And even for, for, for men, but again, we are so not practiced at this. We're so not taught that it's okay or even appropriate. In fact, just the fact that I had to say that, you know, whether four years or four weeks, because m- the mind, most men would go, four weeks, man, that's nothing. Jesus, dude, get over it. Mm-hmm. Why are you – why were you ever under it? Mm-hmm. You know, get over it. There's so many women out there, whatever. Again, it's just another way of, of not processing grief. And so um, I don't know that you can, you know, if you're, if you're, if you're on a first or, 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 you know, the kind of first few weeks of, of dating a man and, you, and you're hearing that he still has some animosity towards an ex, that's a great flag red flag that he has not grieved his ex Mm. you know if he's still sort of uh, telling the stories of what she did to him or how awful she was or how and he may not do it a lot but you know it's it's one thing to share your past experience with someone is like yeah this happened to me i went through that it was like this i learned that it's like one thing to sort of share it for where there's not where there's really no emotional charge it's a whole other thing. I mean, when there's no emotional charge, you know, okay, well, yeah, I mean, they're, they're pretty over it. And, and, and when I say no emotional charge, I don't mean no emotion. I mean, there isn't the animosity or the intensity or, or the, the, yeah, whether it's anger or sadness or frustration or this or sort of, you know, even, even the, you're so better than, than that woman. Gosh, you know, she did this and I so love. Well, that's a weird way to frame things in a new relationship. And it's probably evidence that they haven't let go of that person. Mm, I love that. That's so helpful. And I'm also curious, you know, kind of going back to how to set boundaries in your relationships. Number one, you said you're afraid you're not worthy of what you want. Number two, you're afraid of losing what you have. Um, And, you know, obviously people are afraid of losing what they have because they Mm -hmm. don't think there's something better. And, and number four, that they're not, you know, deserving, whatever the mm-hmm. reasons are. Number three, you said you equate boundaries with selfishness. And yeah. this is so interesting to me because I think a lot of people do make it mean that because they want something, they're selfish. Or because they yeah. can't do something, that they're wrong. So I'm curious kind of yeah. to help somebody listening right now to identify themselves in this. Like, what, what do you have to share about that? Yeah. Well, remember, boundaries create safety. Think of it like a bandage, even, you know, if you have a whether it's a whether you have a wound and if you, if you want a wound to heal, you have to put a bandage on it. That's a boundary. That's mm-hmm. one example of a boundary. It won't heal if you don't put a bandage over it. Um, so and, and those tend to be bound. Those kinds of boundaries can be a little bit trickier because someone who doesn't share that wound uh, won't understand why, for example, you don't, why it's not comfortable for you to, for, for if they talk to their ex, mm. if they're friends with their ex, for example, you might have no problems being friends with your, all your exes because you've never been cheated on by someone who was friends with their exes mm-hmm. or, or whatever that may look like. And whereas your new partner or your partner may have had a really bad experience being betrayed. Mm-hmm. And so that's the, the, 
possibility that that here it is it's in my face again and it can it, you know and it, it, it can they can feel selfish because maybe on some level they know that they, they don't want a relationship where you can't have friends with your exes but they're so terrified because of their trauma that they, they can't feel they can't function safely or in their own body uh-huh. unless unless that boundary is honored and you know, and that's and, th- and there are ways to bridge those situations, but it's important that we first honor that boundaries create safety. Without boundaries, it's like you know I, I equate it to to the castle walls of a castle. If if there's no castle walls, then then you know anytime a marauding party comes through, they're going to destroy everything you care about. Mm. There's no safety, so you need walls around your castle, and. Um, Another distinction I want to be really clear about here, boundaries are not about controlling other people. Mm, I think boundaries all people are, have that belief. Yeah, boundaries are not about controlling other people. And that's and that when when it's about controlling someone and their behavior, well that's 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 completely what I would call narcissistic selfishness. And look, we all have it. I mean, narcissism gets this big bad rap and there's maybe clinical narcissism, but we're all <laughs> fucking narcissists to some degree. But, you know, relationship is about learning to not be so narcissist, to 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 incorporate another human into our our system so that we're not functioning as a one-person system, but a two-person system who can survive this world and thrive in this world in ways that aren't that we wouldn't even conceive of by ourselves. So when you have a partner who has a boundary that maybe doesn't make sense to you, you know, when, when, as again, why getting support can be really helpful to make these distinctions Mm -hmm. because it doesn't serve, you know, my, my partner and I, we have, we have, we have, I don't say lots of boundaries, but we have strong boundaries and we've also had to do that delicate dance because there's trauma in both of our pasts and there's sort of boundaries that we need to have in order for that, in order for both of us to, feel relaxed in our nervous system so we're not feeling constantly under threat um um even though you know again come back to that example someone who may be friends with their exes they may not think it's a threat but when someone has a trauma or a wound it the reality is really not the point Mm -hmm. it's what it's what their trauma or their wound is is reacting it's it's like post-traumatic stress yeah i imagine somebody who feels like they're asking their partner to not be friends with exes they feel like they're trying to con the, the judgment is am i trying to be controlling yeah. to that person when really yeah. they they have something that they're working through and it's not good for them in the partnership so i love this distinction and um i know the final point you made on how to set well, i want to i want i just oh, want to be really clear on something too on that because again i don't want to paint it so black and white like if your partner has that boundary you need to honor it because actually the, the real magic is learning how to bridge that seemingly uh, unbridgeable gap mm. learning how to bridge that in a way where you're both honored yes and I don't know what that might look like for a particular couple it might look like you know if you're the one who's friends with an ex it might look like if you're going to talk to or hang out with your ex your current partner is going to be with you they're invited at all times mm. that might be it might be a solution I don't know again each couple has to find that for themselves but see, what happens is, you know, boundaries also a way of building trust and, and they can change. They can shift mm-hmm, mm-hmm. When, when we create that trust. Yeah, I love that. And, I, and, and sometimes the boundary means that something's a no for somebody and something's a no for somebody else and they need to part ways. That might That's be right. 
the outcome. So I totally get that. Um, Okay. So I know my note takers on these podcasts, you know, the four reasons you're not setting boundaries. (laughs) You're afraid you're not worthy. You're afraid of losing what you have. You equate boundaries to being selfish. And then number four, you said, Brian, was poor modeling. I find this so interesting. I would love to hear what that means. Yeah. I mean, how, how many of us actually witnessed our parents speaking about and honoring boundaries, their own and each other's, yeah. or or their their children's. I mean, how many of us actually watched that happen? I sure didn't. Yeah, total mess, mess, hot mess express. <laughs> hot mess express. I like that. Hot. I mean, I don't like it, but I like it. I get it. Hot mess express. I mean, if we don't see something modeled, it's it's exceedingly difficult to to act it out as adults doesn't mean we can't learn and of course we can learn but we're basically playing out our parents programs we're either we're either doing what our parents did or we're or we're doing in reaction to what our parents did like i'm never going to be like dad was i'm gonna i remember i remember a, a woman i worked with she was actually the other woman in in a uh uh when we started working together she was the other woman to a married man Wow. And that man, that man, the, so the story went, was in a completely dead marriage, but he was committed to the marriage because they had kids, and he was not going to not be at, not do what his dad did, which was not be at home a lot. Mm. And look, that's, I mean, again, you got to make your own choices, but the damage, and, you know, so he gave his, he was giving his kids essentially an example of what a loveless marriage looks like. That's, that's the model his kids grew up with. And, you know, I can only speak from, in this case, personal experience. My parents divorced when I was four and thank God my parents split when I was four because they're both wonderful people, but together they were a nightmare. Mm, yeah, there's so many beliefs I think in today's society about staying together and that that being what's best. But you know, it, it, it's so interesting to see what that models. And I would encourage anybody listening, and I'll do some post episode conversation about this, which is, you know, like what was the environment you grew up in, and what did you take on from it? What did you think mm-hmm. to be true? So, so helpful. And I know you said there's one thing people can do. Um, when it comes to setting boundaries. So what is that magic? Because I'm sure everybody listening is like, well, I've got some boundaries to set. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, my my partner, Sylvie uh, Kukasian, and I, we we created a whole boundaries program, which you can find on my website. But, uh, but, but, But the one thing that I would urge you to just start getting clear about and I, I language it as the distinction between requests and requirements. Mm. I think you pointed to this earlier in our in our in this conversation, but the difference between requests and requirements where, where most relationships uh, come off kilter is we pretend our requirements are requests and our requests are requirements. I love that. So nobody knows what the hell's going on. What's real and what isn't, and you know it just—it's just a shit show. Yeah. So and, yeah. And, to the, and the distinction is basically a requirement is you is is essentially this is what I need to experience to feel safe in this relationship, and you don't need anyone else's permission. It's your requirement, and a request that. is I would like to experience this, but if it's not happening you know well I'll, I'll 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 work with my own discomfort around that ultimately is what that means it, it means it means here's my request you know i don't know maybe the request is i want to i want to look it's a requirement that we speak once a day my request is that we might text each other throughout the day 
but I'm not going to leave the relationship if we don't if we don't text throughout the day. But my requirement is we have one good connecting conversation a day. Right. What happens where we again, where we 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 kind of come off the rails is that request of talking throughout the day. It's not really a requirement. We're not going to leave the relationship, but we act as though it's a requirement. So we keep complaining about it or being upset about it or being bothered by it rather than doing our own work to either reformulate it. Oh, wait, this is a requirement. I yes. one 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 conversation a day doesn't work for me. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. That, but that's a whole different conversation from I'd really like to hear from you more during the day. And oh, I'm so oh, why doesn't why don't you do it? Why isn't this work? You know, all of that stuff. I mean, men and women in the heterosexual context, we, we connect differently. Yeah, we connect differently. And that's not a bad thing. It's OK. But when we expect the other to connect the way that, you know, when I, if I expect my partner to connect the way I connect, it's not going to work at all and vice versa. But we can bridge and we have learned. In fact, that example I just gave you really comes out of our, uh, an early conversation we had just a, a month into our relationship where I was on the East Coast. I was in New York and she was in L.A. and um, I was traveling there for work a lot. And I would only, you know, she's three hours behind. I'd only call by at the end of the work days. I didn't want to wake her in the morning. And I thought, well, everything's great, isn't it? I, we had a good conversation last night and so I figured everything's great. And um, after a, f- a week of that, maybe she told me very clearly, look, I, I don't like not hearing from you. And I don't know what's happening. Are we still OK? Like what's going on? And mm. and she said very clearly, I really need two contact points every day, at least for now. That's good. And I, what's that? That's great. Like way to speak up. Absolutely. And she did. It wasn't a demand. It wasn't a you need to do this. It was just an honesty. It was a again, it was that's the distinction. She wasn't trying to control my behavior. She was honoring herself. And it was an invitation. That's the you could label it that way. You know, boundaries are an invitation, not a demand. Mm -hmm. But it's how people hold them, right? Like some people are going to hold them and maybe the recipient is holding it like it's a demand but that's their work and if they're not willing to take a look at the fact that you're making a request or you're setting a boundary and and they're making you wrong for it i think that that's also such a great invitation to take a look at the dynamics you have because i think some people aren't afraid to set boundaries but the the person they're dating isn't able to receive it which is just you know a whole nother indicator but i I love this absolutely request versus um, requirements and yeah. you know, God, it reminds me of that meme like, quick question, what the fuck is going on? It's like, <laughs> you know, uh-huh. yeah, it's like, oh my God, I can think of like three flings I've had with men in Colombia that I could have used this with. So mm-hmm. helpful. Um, okay, so where can everybody find you and continue to learn from you? This has been so awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. My website is Brian, again, Brian with a Y, Reeves, R-E-E-V-E-S.com, BrianReeves.com. And my boundaries program is there that, again, I did with my fiance, who is my greatest teacher in boundaries. Women, listen to that, please, because she stands and has stood since the beginning, that, that first few weeks. She stands for her boundaries, but in a way that is so honoring and respectful. And so it always comes off as an invitation to me, which it ain't always comfortable. <laughs> but it's always, always powerful. And and it's how we grow as an invitation also, not an obligation. So the Boundaries program is there, brianreeves.com. I have all kinds of free blogs. I wrote a blog called Choose Her Every Day or Leave Her. That's been read by 30 million people around the globe. It, it just seemed to touch such a, 
uh, a heartstring in humanity and that that blog is on there choose her every day or leave her i love um, that lots of good stuff there yeah thank you so much for being here this was awesome yeah thank you so much ashley my pleasure Hey guys, it's Ash here, and with Brian Reeves' episode, I have been in such deep reflection because one topic he brought up was abusive relationships, and I personally have had really healthy, really beautiful relationships. My first boyfriend was five years, and we won cutest couple in high school, and you know, it was like from there I had another guy for five years, and I ended up calling off my wedding to him. But overall, I had really sweet guys who really looked after me. And so I wanted to talk a little bit about attraction, what you're attracted to, abusive relationships, and experience I had with someone who was emotionally abusive and I didn't realize it with the hope that maybe you can realize right now that you've been in an unhealthy or toxic relationship if you have, or maybe you're in one and it's time to step away, or maybe you have a friend that you think is in one and you need to know this information so that you can support her and give her the information she needs for her own emotional safety and health. So the first thing is, what are you attracted to? So for the longest time, like I said, in personal development, I've learned that the stronger the spark, the bigger the wound. Sometimes that's not true, right? Like sometimes you just have a spark with somebody and it's a magical thing. A lot of the time though, when you feel that magical spark, some you have this crazy attraction, somebody feels like home, usually it's because you're attracted to something that feels familiar to you. And usually it is not from the best place. And this is just psychology. So Usually we're attracted to somebody who mirrors back our unmet needs with one or both of our parents. So if your dad wasn't present and he was always busy, maybe you keep being attracted to guys who are always really busy or workaholics or, you know, women, if you're a guy listening to this, same thing. If your mom wasn't very nurturing, maybe you're attracted to, you know, men or women that are not nurturing. Um, And so I would say that it's so important to kind of pay attention to the question, what did your parents not give you? What did your mom not give you that you think you needed? What did your dad not give you that you think you needed? Not because they did anything wrong, but because we all have very specific needs that people are not mind readers and we don't even know ourselves when we're little kids. We don't even realize we needed. And then later as adults, we reflect back on our childhoods and it's like, for lack of a better term, we feel kind of fucked up about something that we didn't realize we needed. So kind of taking a moment to say, when what, what was missing for me? Or where did my parents maybe not nail it? I really needed something. And maybe it wasn't an overarching theme of your life. Maybe there's just a couple moments or memories you have where you're like, wow, I really needed my mom in that moment. And this is how I needed her. And she wasn't there. Same with your dad uh, or whoever your caretaker was. And then from there saying, is this showing up with the people I'm attracted to or even with the partner I've committed to? Because a lot of the times um, it shows up in a different way. So in my case, my dad was always really, really anxious. He lost a lot of money when I was a little girl. He lost his company. And a lot of my upbringing was a time where he was fighting for his his success again and looking to have success again after he lost everything. And as a result, he was very anxious, very worried, very focused on business. And he was an amazing dad. He was really funny. Um, he's still here. So I, I talk about him like he doesn't exist. He's the best dad ever. He's hilarious. Uh, and he's a character. I call him a creature all the time. And his name's Al. And lately I've been calling myself a she Al because I'm realizing I'm like the female, ver- you know, I'm like him, but different, you know, different setup. <laughs> and 
But what I'm realizing is that because he was so anxious that he wasn't available, he wasn't available to me because he was on his phone. He was in a panic. He was never emotionally really present and able to say, hey, Ash, you know. And so what did I look, what was I attracted to for a lot of years? A lot of men who were not present, a lot of men who were workaholics, a lot of men who were really busy, a lot of men who forgot to write me back, but were my partner. They would be my boyfriend and then they'd be so busy they'd forget to follow up with me about something or whatever have it. Um, and, 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 I, and it kept looking a little different. So pay attention to that because how things show up always look a little different, but they're the same thing. So, you know, one guy was very available for me, but he wouldn't commit. So that was a way that I found a guy that wasn't available. Another guy was, you know, um, just wanted to commit and was all about saying he was committed. But, you know, my phone calls and my text messages were his last priority in his workday. So it's really about taking oh, another guy was very committed. But when, when we got emotionally deep, and when we had a real intimacy, that's when he started to check out. So that thread that I, that started with my connection with my dad look different with all of the different men that came into my life. So it's really important for you to really get clear what are those unmet needs and how are those showing up if they are at all. And then paying attention to when you have that magical chemistry and spark with somebody, where is it coming from? Because, you know, I knew a woman who was, her dad abused her and physically abused her. She ended up with physically abusive boyfriends. Why does that happen? You know, why does the guy who has a mom who's an alcoholic end up with a woman who's an alcoholic? Because, um, or man, you know, depending on his sexual preference, because we attract what's familiar to us. What's familiar feels whole. It feels like home unless we look at it. So um, I ended up after calling off my wedding to a really, really good guy um, in a relationship uh, with a guy who was not, it was a toxic relationship. And I didn't realize it because in the beginning, he was very loving. We had a huge connection. He was really funny. Um, he gave me a lot of things my last relationship didn't give me. He was, you know, really successful and capable in his career. So I admired him. I looked up to him. Um, but the closer we got to each other, the more he would pull back. And the way he pulled back started to feel very toxic. It looked like him saying, I need space and not telling me how much space he would need. Next thing I knew, he wouldn't call for a few days. And then eventually I'd go through so much heartbreak that by the time he'd called, I was so sad. And I would ask him, like, why do you need this many days to get over this? And he would circle back to me and say things like, well, it's because of you. So he'd blame me as to why he needed that much time. So one of the indicators I learned, and eventually I realized that I think he had narcissist personality disorder, but who am I to really diagnose him? I'm not a doctor. I'm not a therapist. But um, I read the books and I was like, holy shit, I, this relationship was 45 out of 50 bullet points. Um, there is a book about narcissists called, I believe it's called, Why Is It Always About You? And it was about narcissism. Um, there's another book called The Emotionally Abusive Relationship. So if any of these signs are happening in your relationship, I just hope that you do some reading or talk to a therapist or talk to your friends. Um, one sign is that you're afraid to share with people about your relationship. So because, I mean, and there's a fine line. One is because you don't want to air your laundry and disrespect your partner. But another tipping point is that you don't want to share because you realize that your friends are going to tell you that that's not good and that that's not acceptable. So it's really checking in with yourself about why you're not sharing um, another sign for a toxic relationship is eggshells. You know, you feel like you're tiptoeing. You, you're afraid to say something because you're afraid you're going to lose the person. You don't feel safe to communicate. Um, another sign is that when you do communicate, 
it ends up being your fault and that the situation becomes worse. That's a really, really big one. So if you do share something that hurts your feelings, they make it about you. They make it that you did something wrong. You're doing something wrong versus being apologetic or trying to understand you or trying to communicate with you. Um, another sign is that they try to take a lot of space and they don't communicate with you about how much space they need. Um, according to therapists, usually much more than 24 hours starts to tip into toxicity where it's like days and days and days. Um, Another sign is blame um, or another sign is somebody who the closer you get, the further they want to be from you. Um, so these are just some of many signs of an unhealthy relationship. Um, but ultimately, the result is what you want to pay attention to. When I was in that unhealthy relationship, I started to feel less and less myself, but I wasn't willing to admit it because I really loved the guy because we did have a connection. Nobody's all bad or all good, but it doesn't mean that they're ultimately good for you. And that's what's so important to pay attention to. Um, and it's really hard to let somebody go when it's a toxic relationship because what happens is that your brain actually becomes addicted to the cycle of a toxic relationship. What happens is you have really high highs and really low lows. And that's another sign of a toxic relationship is the low was so painful, but then the connectedness that comes after it is so deep. So um, th these relationships are roller coasters and there's a toxicity to them. Um, I remember having like a huge blowout and so much pain. And it was always followed with like a lot of apology and like connection and wanting to see each other and a lot of love. And it felt like so connected after that. And I started to notice that the more connected we got, the closer we were around the corner from that person blaming me for something, needing space from me. And it was so painful. And ultimately, when I started reading about it, I learned that you know, that your brain literally gets a dopamine hit from the closeness in the same way that you're addicted to a drug and that the trauma of the space and the pain and the roller coaster being followed by that dopamine hit of love becomes addictive. So pay attention to that. Pay attention to your relationship dynamics. Um, who am I to tell you what to do? I can only speak from what I've learned. I definitely don't share with you from being a wise old owl, but I did learn from it. Um, and I was in that relationship for seven months and I remember getting out of it and telling at my, at, my, at my annual checkup, going to see my doctor, getting some blood work. And she said, you, you seem a little off. What's up? And I said, you know, I just broke up with this guy and it was like a roller coaster. And I've never been in a relationship like that. I've always had these like even keeled, stable, wonderful guys that just ended up not being a match for me. And I'm learning to get to know myself and pick the right person. And yeah, I just realized in retrospect, like, this, this relationship and I started talking to her about it and she and she took off her glasses and in this moment I realized something really powerful she looked at me and she said I'm so proud of you for getting out of that and she said it with tears in her eyes and I knew she had been through something similar and she said that is so hard to get out of those relationships sounds like a toxic relationship I don't know if you've realized it yet she recommended some books to me and she said I'm so proud of you for getting out of that. Those are so hard. And the m amount of acknowledgement she had for me made me realize how many people are in toxic relationships. Um, there's a book called The Sociopath Next Door about how one out of 25 Americans right now are a sociopath, not meaning that they're serial killers, although a lot of serial killers happen to also be sociopaths, but meaning that they don't feel their feelings, that sociopaths can't even feel their feelings. Um, so really interesting stuff to read about. I highly recommend picking up a book about narcissism, about sociopaths, not because you need to go on a rabbit hole about it, but because we are surrounded by them and we, you might work with a narcissist who's always blaming you. You might be dating one. Your mom might be one. Who knows? But it's so powerful for you to understand them. So 
really personal after episode conversation. I felt like it was worth sharing because I know a lot of you have gone through this. And of course, it's always easier to share your quote unquote failures when you're on the other side of them. Um, and I feel very much like I am on the other side of this relationship. And, um, I don't know, I'm at that point where I understand that people who treat people like that have a lot of shame, a lot of darkness that they need to work through. And so I send him a lot of love. I send him a lot of good energy. And I hope that he heals from that because I don't, I don't want other women to go through what, he, what I went through with him. And I trust that if they do, that that's, that there's something that they're supposed to learn and that that's their spiritual and life curriculum and journey that they need to learn from. So. I love what Brian said about how a lot of people buy into the belief that relationships need to be super painful to grow. You can grow in a beautiful way. It doesn't have to be painful. You can have connected communication and grow. You can have a few tiffs and grow. Um, I just don't think growth needs to be the most painful, miserable thing in the world. And to me, if it is, it's a sign to me of a toxic relationship. But that's me personally. Anyway, I would love you to hit me up in the DMs. Disclaimer, I know you guys will. And I'm not an expert on this, but I can share my experience with you. And this really hits a strong part, place in my heart because I really love this guy. And it was really confusing to realize how toxic he was for me. Um, I think we live in a world in personal development where it's like, oh, wow, you need to look at what's wrong, what, what's up with you and, and grow yourself. But it's like sometimes the other person's just bad for you and other people just bring out the worst in us. And that was definitely the case with this person. So I hope my sharing serves you. I hope it supports you. And I'm sending you all the love. Thanks again for tuning into this week's episode of the U-Turn Podcast. We keep really detailed show notes at U-TurnPodcast.com. So if our guest mentioned a book or a resource that you're interested in, you'll be able to find that there. In the meantime, if you were inspired by this episode, if it made an impact in your life, we would be so grateful if you subscribed and posted a review for us on iTunes. Rumor has it on the street, the more reviews we get, the more subscribes we get, the more we can grow and get our impact out there in the world. In the meantime, I'd love to hear from you at Ashley Stahl on Instagram. I'm so grateful for connecting and I look forward to next week's episode. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's going to push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously, which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you want to learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join Podcast Royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox or wherever you listen to your podcasts.